for joining us with these podcasts. They are designed to challenge us in the Christian faith. We hope that they do that for you. And we also hope that sometime you will join us at First Christian Church in Malvern. May God bless you. Okay, we're dealing with Lesson 24 about the prophet Malachi. And you may remember that particular prophet is the last prophet in the Old Testament of the minor prophets. His name means messenger of Jehovah or my messenger, which means he has a message from God Almighty to the people. As I said before, he's the last Old Testament prophet. And uh, so his message is extremely important. Uh, We know that he prophesied around Jerusalem, uh, where he uh, later wrote his book. So um, it was written apparently around 445 to 432 B.C., Um, The person that had lived during this time, uh, other book that we have is Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. And you may remember that Nehemiah was the uh, cup bearer to Artaxerxes and that the king and that what happened was uh, the cup bearer was someone who was extremely important to the king he tested um, the the food and and the drink and so he was highly trusted and you may remember that the king saw that he was sad and what he was sad about with Nehemiah was this idea Nehemiah said my city is in ruins even though you've allowed the people to come back And Zerubbabel had gone back around 536 B.C. And uh, he had led about 50,000 Jews there. And around um, uh, 520 to 516 B.C., Haggai had prophesied and Zechariah had prophesied. They were encouraging the people to rebuild the temple. Well, the temple gets rebuilt. But uh, about 79 years after the first group had come, they, Ezra came back with another group. And they realized that the walls had not been rebuilt. Nehemiah comes as the great wall builder. That's 13 years after Ezra comes. So, Uh, Nehemiah comes to uh, encourage the people to rebuild the walls. Now, the spiritual condition of the people was one of indifference. Uh, No more were they uh, excited about the ceremonial Parts of the law, they had grown weary of, of observing the, the sacrifices and the demands of the sacrifices. And uh, 
the priest had grown lack. They were accepting animals that were sick or lame or defiled, not the best. And according to the law, they were to have the best animals given. And on top of all of this, the moral conditions were slipping. They were marrying non-Jews. They were meeting uh, people that had lived there who were non-Jews. And some of them were even divorcing their wives to do it. So you, you can say that all is not well, okay? Uh, pagan uh, practices were common in the land. And the very thing that had gotten them into trouble was starting up again. The priesthood was especially a problem. Uh, they, they had a lack of concern. And uh, these attitudes just made empty rituals. They were cheating on their offerings, and they just had this indifference. Now, even though there had been changes that took place during the times of Haggai and Zechariah, the people still were indifferent to their spiritual obligations. They neglected the temple. They were worldly. They were restless. Um, they... The crops were still not doing well. The priests were corrupt. And the family life was decaying. So they needed the support of a prophet. And Malachi was called by God to, to come and speak to them the words of God. Now, before we get into the message uh, and we look into uh, the scriptures themselves, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for helping us and, and uh, have this scripture speak to our hearts and help us as we strive to understand your word. We thank you, God, for your word. Speak to our hearts and arouse our spirits that we may serve you in a joyful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we go. 25 times the phrase says, thus says the Lord is used. 25 times. Now, this, the, the, type of writing is a question and answer method didactic and dialectic uh, is the type of, of thing this question this answer method and it later becomes universal teaching in the Jewish schools and synagogues many people teach by this particular uh, message if you look there's a charge that's made and it might be against God or God might have a charge and 
then there's this objection that takes place. And then the objection is addressed. It's refuted by the speaker. So let's, let's take a look in the book of Malachi. And uh, let's, let's look at some of the scriptures here. In Malachi 1, it says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. An oracle is a message. Uh, it's, it's a burden. So he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now there's a statement that God makes. But you say, how hast thou loved us? Okay, now this is being refuted. God's going to ask another question. Was not Esau's Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made, have made his mountains desolate, and, it, and it appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Now, what God is getting at is that he had destroyed Edom, the descendants of Esau, he had destroyed that nation. In verse 4, he says, Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. And your eyes will see this, and you will say, The Lord be magnified beyond the border of Israel. So what God is saying is, I've loved you. And they said, oh yeah, prove it. <laughs> Basically, that's he says, I have. I have destroyed Edom. He said, I love you. Now, it's interesting that in the book of Malachi, God starts off by saying, I love you. And then in verse 6, God says some more. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Okay, He's making this statement and he says, then if I am a father, where's my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? Now, now he's addressing the priests. But you say, how have we despised your name? Here's the question. Here, he's now going to refute that. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. In other words, they're despising God. How? Verse 8 tells how. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? I mean, the lambs that they were offering had defects. That goes against the law. They weren't giving the best to God. They were giving their leftovers, the things that they didn't want to God. 
He says, and when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Try doing that. Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, said the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? You see, God is saying, you say you love me, you say you have respect for God, well, look Look what you're doing in your worship. Boy, God can say that to us, can't he? How are you living? Are you living the proper life to me? Or are you giving me your second or not your best? Would you do that to your, your king? No, if, if we had received a, a message that the king or the president was going to come and visit us, boy, we would quickly clean the house, I think. And God is saying, I am your king. You're profaning me. You want to know why things aren't happening? Properly? Uh, look at verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Wow. It actually comes down to this idea that, that the people have despised his character, his name. You know, when we don't live up to the standards that God wants us to live, we are not honoring him. Because everything that we are to do, say, is to give him honor. And when we don't do that, we dishonor God. And, and the book of Malachi is so relevant. Judah had been faithless people. You know, God loves Israel. God loves us. But our sins, boy, has just caused all kinds of problems. So he's pointing out that Israel needs to obey him. Now, he seeks to restore this understanding of serving the Lord faithfully. So in the second chapter, when he gets to that second chapter, he's going to deal with this idea that that we, uh, the, the priests have to be disciplined for what they've done. I mean, they're, they're being a standard of living. They're showing 
a standard of living to the people, and it's very, very poor. That speaks to us as teachers or preachers or those who are in leadership of, of any type. People will look at us to see how we are leading. And these priests were not giving their best to the Lord. They had actually taken bribes. Look at verse 10 in the second chapter of Malachi. Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously, each against his brother, so as to profane the covenant of your fathers? We have one Father. God, he's created us all. And, and he says, we have not lived properly. There's sin in the family. Now, let's, let's take a look. Uh, in verse 12, it says for, uh, in the second uh, chapter, As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers and who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Well, it's inferior. They're not giving their best. And so they want to cry that God's not accepting their offering. Verse 14, and yet you say, here's the question, for what reason? Here's, he's going to refute this. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, although she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then your offspring and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. What they're doing is they're divorcing their wives for foreign people, for the pagan people. If you read this in uh, the NLT, it gives a little more insight uh, when, when he deals with this. And we look at uh, verse 13 in the NLT. Uh, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping, because he pays no attention to your offerings. He doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my uh, worship? Have you ever felt that way? Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I went to church. He says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows or the covenant. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. 
And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord, the heavens of armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. You see, the whole family structure was beginning to break down again. And God says, you are divorcing the wife of your youth for another person. You're, you're dividing the family. You, you have no cause for this, except you want another wife. So in, in chapter 3, he talks about the purifier. Now listen to this. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger... And he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Boy, who do you think that was? And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You see, right then and there, Malachi's trying to get the people ready for Jesus. Look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. A refiner's fire. He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver and will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings and righteousness. Boy, this, this talks about Jesus, doesn't it? And then he, he gets back into, he, there's this glimpse of Jesus here, but in verse 8, he says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Okay. There is a question followed by a statement. And listen to what the people say here. They're refuting it. They say, but you say, how have we robbed thee? Here's the answer. In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for your robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I uh, will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then... I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may, uh, may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grape, says the Lord. See, see God will protect. But you remember the story in, in the book of Acts of Ananias and Sapphira. Many of the people had been giving of their uh, selling their, their homes and giving all of that money to God. And Ananias, uh, Ananias and Sapphira turned around and they 
they refused to give it all. They lied. They didn't bring in all of it. Now, they could have said that they weren't bringing in all of it, but they chose to lie, and God struck both of them dead, Ananias and Sapphira. So, you said, uh, your words, in verse 13, have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against thee? Okay, that's now their question. You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it if we have kept his charge? And what uh, that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. But now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Wow. You know, in our country, wrong is being called right. So how sad that is. And how sad that is when the church does that. Uh, we must stand for what is right and realize that there is a day of reckoning. Hang on, be patient. God is not finished. The wicked will be punished. And when we go around saying the wicked aren't being punished and, and they'll never be punished, so I'm going to do bad, we dishonor God. We dishonor uh, Him knowing that He is the righteous, good God. And in His time, He makes all things new. Now finally, in this fourth chapter, He says, a day's coming. It's burning like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Who is that son of righteousness? We have a Christmas song that talks about the son of righteousness. It's Jesus. Verse 3, you will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes upon the soles of your feet. On the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. And listen to this. This, this wonderful book, this wonderful book that has been written, you know, over 400 years before the birth of Jesus, you know, this, this wonderful message. He says this, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet 
before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now we know that John the Baptist was called Elijah the prophet. And look at verse 6. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. There's a warning here. There's a warning that they had better get ready. And if they did not receive John the Baptist properly, who's telling them to get ready for Jesus, that there would be destruction. That happened again in 70 AD when Jerusalem fell. So we look at that wonderful passage of Scripture and we realize that all of this proves man's inability to deal with sin. Man needed a Savior. He needed a Savior. And then we begin the New Testament. We begin that New Testament. So, many changes had occurred. This book is an appeal to God as the source of its message. Uh, thus says the Lord. We find out that the, the purpose of this book, you know, he deals with the priesthood immensely here. I mean, he, he tells them he loves the people, but they've profaned temple worship. They have become weary of ritual worship. They have caused the people to stumble, and he's going to curse them. And then the people, because of their indifference, they've been unfaithful to God in their marriage laws by divorcing their Jewish wives and marrying heathen women. They have come to doubt whether God had justice. And therefore, he's going to, God announced the coming of the Messiah. They'd robbed God because they were hoarding their money, which was supposed to take care of God's house, the temple. They complained of serving God because the wicked were prospering and they're not. So somehow that gave justification for what they did. I, I can't help but, but see so many parallels in our society. We justify destroying of property or we justify hate. We justify doing wrong things and harming people. So, he, he deals with these things. He says, keep the law. Look for the prophet Elijah, who will be Israel's final messenger before God's great and coming day of reckoning. And of course, Jesus said that John was the one prophesied by Malachi. He said that in Matthew 11, 7 through 15, and also chapter 17, 11 through 12. 
I mean, what more could God do for Israel than what he did do? And so we have 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's kind of like when kids are in a class and they're acting up and the teacher's talking and nobody's paying any attention and all of a sudden the teacher just stops. And there's this silence. And the kids know, uh-oh, something's about to go down. So for 400 years, from Malachi to Jesus, or John the Baptist, there is this silence. Well, we must truly worship the Lord faithfully. So, the book of Malachi deals with all of this. And it's kind of a sad book, isn't it? Because it says there's very little progress, if any, that has happened to, to this nation. And Malachi is a conclusion and a connecting link. It spans... Israel, we find the beginning in Genesis, man sinning. We find here in the end of the Old Testament, man sinning. But he's saying, prepare the way of the Lord. There's going to be something that happens. You know, God hates indifference to him and his law. We've got to learn that as part of the lesson. God does hate divorce. And a man can rob God. Those are the lessons, the three lessons that we can pull from this. And in the last two chapters of this book, Israel flocked to the Jordan River. Or in this last book of the Old Testament, and then the, the first book, in the New Testament, we find that Israel's going to flock to the Jordan River. 400 years later, with a man crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So, Malachi. Malachi is so very important. We are reminded in that there are numerous New Testament References to the works of Malachi, as I said, about Elijah the prophet or the messenger to come, which is Jesus, or the um, uh, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, which is quoted in Romans. So we find a lot of relevance in the book of Malachi. Well, I hope that, that you can reflect Malachi and just learn from Malachi, gain strength from Malachi, and realize that God wants faithfulness in our lives, people. Let's be faithful in how we live, in the things we do, and the things we say. God bless you. Have a great, great day.
Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope that you will join us at First Christian Church of Malvern, which is located at 4046 Coral Road, Northwest in Malvern, Ohio. May God bless you and have a great day.